He watches over us really well. Well, it's nice to be back on a Wednesday night. It's a blessing to, to just be here and be in the presence of God. And a really nice warm day. I remind myself this is January. So I think Saturday is supposed to be a reminder that it's... January. So, but, you know, you and I are, we're blessed, you guys, that God has done what he's done in our lives. Um, so how about questions? Should we start with uh, 2 Corinthians 11, or should we start with questions? Okay, then you have to wait one chapter. <laughs> No, if you're that close, if you're that close, I figure that's like arriving at the cycle. All right, so talk to me, Hannah, about, this is 2 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 12? Okay. I had a question in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, Verse 2, such and one caught up to the third heaven. Uh-huh. So I just wanted to ask about the third heaven. I've been yeah. praying about it and trying to have the Lord speak and sure. see sure. about that. Okay, so let's read a little bit further on. Um, because in 11, so I move us slowly back to 11. In 11, the Apostle Paul is talking about absolute foundational truth. He's talking about the things that are taught by the men of God are absolute. They're absolutely true. And he's dealing with the fact that these uh, Corinthian Christians in uh, Corinth have been impacted by so many Jewish teachers that they've, they've actually thrown Paul overboard. So when he comes back, he encounters this hostility about him. And that's because Satan marks out those men who teach the absolute truth. Because if he's going to cause the church to drift, he has to have someone who is not uh, set in the word and the presence of God in an absolute way. So Paul is actually talking those things. And... um, uh, so let's go back over just a second. Uh, in um, chapter 11, verse 12, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion. They wanted to, to take advantage of these people at Corinth. And because they wanted to serve God, they were really hungry to hear things about God. So it's easy to have someone come and tell you something. And if you don't know anything about it, it's easy for them to tell you. So they can tell you anything they want if you don't know anything about it. So that's what Paul's talking about. And he said that uh, who desire occasion from them which desire occasion that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. They're just men like I am. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They are transforming themselves into what? The apostles of Christ. They transform themselves. They know how to act. 
They know how these apostles act. And so they do the very things the apostles do, but they don't have the power. And they don't have the truth. And they don't have the voice. And they're not called of God. They're not led by the Spirit of God. But they certainly are able to lead these people within this church their own way. Because the flesh likes to have stuff its way. And it's amazing because the devil knows that. He knows we'd much rather have an easier way. We'd like to have a pat on the back instead of having a correction that's a course correction. And, And so what God's doing to us is teaching us, you know what? My apostles are going to bring confrontation, because they did. They confronted the, the priests. They, they confronted the high priests. They brought confrontation to the, all of Jerusalem. And it created enough upheaval there so bad that they decided, they decided to destroy those men. So, here's apostasy and truth. And when they collide, there's a war that comes out of it. And these people who hold the high position, who own the buildings and own the the, uh, calling that comes from the Old Testament, those guys assume the highest position and they transform themselves even deeper into this place where they are in in charge of the information. So, now these guys are talking about Christ. And so this is what he says. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, And no marvel. That's no big deal. For Satan does what? Sure. Satan makes himself an angel of light. So you guys, you see what the church is up against? You see what the Soviet church is up against? It's up against an angel. Because Satan's an angel. And he goes back to, to what he was in light. Am I right? He transforms himself into an angel of light. So he is no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Transformed into an angel of light? So what he has done is he's been in anarchy against God. He's a liar, yes? And now he's chosen to go back and go back to that place of deception. And his sense of deception is... I'll go back to what God made me in the beginning, and that was an angel of His. I know God. I know the vulnerability of man. I know the gullibility of the flesh. And I'm going to bring them what they would like to hear. And I'm going to make Paul a problem maker. Because you see, at Corinth, Paul brought up a confrontation against sin in the person that was there. And he rebuked the whole body because he said, you guys, you're talking about this. Like it's salacious information. If you have a television program, you guys have this man on television. Because you like talking about it. You like hearing about it. There's something, and it's wickedness. I'm telling you, turn this guy over to Satan. Turn his flesh over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his soul might be saved. And he said, and he rebuked them. He said, you guys are partaker in this thing. Let's get this stuff straightened out. You separate yourself from this behavior. So now they've been rebuked, and when he comes back, it's sort of like a cold shoulder. Yeah, well, you know, you're a little rough on us. You're a little bit rough. And when they, after he spoke these rough things in First Corinthians 13, you guys, a whole bunch of people came in to influence that group. Why? Because the person who was correcting, so it's like a dad who finds that the, the son is doing something like stealing at the grocery store. And he tans his hide. And the kid runs away. And the neighbor people take the kid in. 
And they talk against his dad. You know, your, your old man, this, what he's done to you is wrong. What he's done to you, he ought to be arrested for that. We ought to call the cops. And what happens is it feeds that kid that what he did was okay. And what his dad did was not okay. And it bypasses the point about what's right in this thing. I was stealing. Like I should have got my bottom beat. Years ago, some L.A. cops beat up on a guy named Rodney King. <laughs> and and uh, they cleared the cops. And Rodney King came on the news. He said, look, one of the interviews, he said, look, I... Me and the L.A. cops, we've done this for years. I do my thing. They do their thing. I beat up on them. They beat up on me. See, the whole world saw what was going on in this video, and they were enraged that these cops beat up on Rodney King. And he said, yeah, this happens. I, I go out, and, and sometimes I go out on a Friday night, and I think, you know what I'll do is just get loaded and pick a fight with four or five L.A. cops. I mean, how much fun can you have unless you've got stuff going on? I mean, that's just how the guy talked. So they, they gave me a little. I gave them a little. He gave them a lot. They gave him a lot. It looked like I was a little overboard. But the way he talked about it is that, you know what? This isn't the first time I've beat up on cops. It's not the first time I tried to take them all on. And the thing is, they just kept calling more because when, when I was getting the best of two of them, three showed up. Well, now that was a little tougher. But I thought, hey, well, three against one, the odds are getting better. I can win this thing. And then I bragged everybody in the town. Wow. See, most people sitting home watching the news don't think like that. So what, we, what we're coming to is this sense of what's right and what's wrong. And what the devil wants to do, you guys, is, is exploit these things because people exploited that trial and they, they, they burned down their own city. And if you go visit it, most of it hasn't been repaired. You can burn it down, you can't repair it. You can't fix it. You guys, what's happening is that, that Paul is talking about, I'm correcting this church at Corinth. And I know you didn't like the correction, and I wasn't there to continue the development of the things that I did in correction, but I'm telling you, I laid a foundation, stand on the foundation, and go with that which is truth. And the flesh doesn't like to be told it's done something wrong. So, the Apostle Paul now is talking about Satan transforming himself. Transforming himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. They, they pretend righteousness. So how would you tell, you guys, if people are really righteous? How would you tell if they're pretending to be righteous or they really are righteous? And this is where the issues come down to, is that there's a whole lot of stuff done uh, behind the scenes where people aren't regenerated, aren't even regenerated. They go into the ministry because they see it be an easy job. You can buy sermons, and you can be an eloquent teacher, and, and a lot of people like attention, so it's easy stuff. Satan went back to that role of being like the angels of God. He won't ever be an angel of God again. You understand that, right? I'm going to go back and look like I was. I know what it was like to dress up like that, to clean up like that, and to confront these things as though I am that spirit that's bringing righteousness. Now, I say again, 
No, no, no. Therefore, verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So evidently, their works are death. There's no life in it. There's power in the Word of God. And that's what the Spirit of God is doing, is bringing us to such a place that we understand that where the Word of God is, there's power. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And you guys, it's imperative that we we pay attention to the sensitivity of what God's sensitivity is. And let Him be the mind over our every action in life. Paying attention, deferring to it, asking. Greg asked me tonight, you know, I'm thinking about you know, looking at a house down in, in Ottawa. And uh, he said, do you think that, you know, because I know that I have to be under the dominion of God. Do you think I would be diverting myself from the dominion of God? I said, well, God gives us liberty, Greg, but, but the thing that what God does is, he brings us into a place, and it's the place and the interaction with the body of Christ that he brings into our life. He's brought you a job. You, you guys, nothing would change in any of that. So go to him and ask. Let him, let him be a guide in this thing. He gives us liberty to move from one place to another, and it's precious what he does. So that's what we want is to have that mind that brings us into that place. So he says this. I say again, verse 16, let no man think me a fool. Paul knows he's in charge of the absolute truth and he's, he's confronting these people with the very bedrock of what would be deception to them forever. These people are talking about God. They transform themselves into ministers of light. The, the devil, he says, has retransformed himself back to an angel of light. Now, you guys, Paul's making this confrontation saying these people are wrong. They're saying Paul is wrong. And the people are in a quandary about who really is right. And Paul is defining it now that there's all kinds of deception that would lead these people to believe that, that these guys are doing what's right. So, we're in that kind of an hour. We're in that kind of an hour. There's all kinds of religious fervor. When I was a kid, when I, when I was born, uh, about half of the ministers in this country believed that you should be ordained by men. About half. In the, in the early 1900s, one in maybe a thousand men believed that they should be ordained by men. So what happened was they believed that God ordained you and that God called you and that God would put you in the ministry. And the thing that's the most important is that you had a living, vibrant relationship with a real God who could indwell you and talk to you and he changed your life and you were really changed. The criteria was that God himself had transformed you. He had taken you out of the flesh and brought you into the place where you're led by the Spirit of God. You walked with God. You talked with God. You were like Daniel. The difference between the the wise men in Babylon and Daniel was that when that king had a dream and he couldn't remember it, the wise men begged for time and hoped that that somehow he would tell them the dream so they could do their, their magic on it. Daniel went to God, who gave the man the dream, and said, God, listen, this man's going to kill all the wise men in Babylon if they don't, if someone doesn't tell him the dream. You gave him the dream. I know you want to give him the answer. And somebody told them, there's a man in your kingdom. There's a man in your kingdom. 
in whom dwells the Spirit of the Holy God. And this man is an interpreter of dreams and, and a man of wisdom. See, that's the reputation. Wise men everywhere. But someone told Nebuchadnezzar, there's a man, O king, in your kingdom, in whom the Spirit of the Holy God dwells. And this man is an interpreter. And he understands these dark mysteries. They send for Daniel. But I can tell you that the Spirit of God moved on Daniel. He told him what the dream was. And he told him what the interpretation was. And you guys, that's the difference of going to Bible school and going to God. You can go to Bible school and know about dreams and even about... You can, you can buy books that interpret dreams. But listen, you have to have the, the mind of God to interpret dreams. And men have answers, but you guys, the answers come from God. And that's what the Spirit of the Lord wants you and me to do, is go back to God. So Paul is in a confrontation with these people because he's confronted the flesh and they don't like what's happened to him. So he's talking about his life. So then he says, listen, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me. If you think I'm a fool, that I may boast myself a little. So I'm going to start talking like they talk. Because they're all busy talking about their self. When I was in Africa, I didn't have anybody introduce me. I, they didn't need to know who I was. I wanted the spirit and presence of God to touch those people. And I figured within 30 minutes of me starting to talk, they should begin to feel the presence of God. And from that would come a sense of this is right. Men like to have people tell you all kinds of great stuff that they've done. And, and they spend 30 minutes expounding on who they are. And the truth is, you guys, that isn't what God sent us to do. He sent the Holy Ghost to expound on Christ. And that's what you want in your life. That's what I want in my life. So I didn't care if they remembered my name. And, and there were times that people would, would try to give me a big introduction. The ones that knew me, the, the better those guys knew me. Uh, because a lot of these pastors would go from seminar to seminar to, to listen more. But you guys, here's what the Spirit of God says. Paul says, I'm going to talk like they talk. They brag about themselves. I'm going to brag about myself. That, I, that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. What I'm about to tell you, God didn't tell me to tell you. This isn't from the Lord. This is from me. You think I don't know how to boast, Padin? Think I can't outdo them in boasting? He said, you don't know where I have been. You don't know where I've been. These guys are talking about their exploits. Let me tell you about my exploits. Let me talk about me. And he said, God didn't tell me to do this. God didn't tell me, Paul, go on, brag. Because God isn't going to tell you that, am I right? And he's not, he's not afraid of God smiting him down. He just said, hey, if this is a contest, then let me tell you. Let me tell you about me. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. Wow. For you suffer fools gladly. <laughs> I love the way he approaches this. <clears throat> he, he makes it very clear what he feels the opposition's great strengths are. <laughs> For you suffer fools gladly, seeing yourself are wise. Oh, wait, wait a minute. How wise are you if you suffer fools to teach them? So it's like, wow, that 
<clears throat> we like you less and less. And he said, then that's not my issue. Listen. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage. Listen to me. He said, you guys, if a man brings you under bondage, you suffer. If he tells you that only he has the, the body of Christ and without him you cannot go to heaven. If he puts you in the bondage that says you, you need me to make heaven. You guys, there's all kinds of religions that do that. What you need is Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. If a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, these guys will devour you. They're not after your good. If a man take of you, if he's using you to build his kingdom bigger, if he's using you because you, you, you make money and he can, he can take an offering every time he gets around you. If a man exalt himself. He says, you guys, listen, when somebody exalts themselves, don't you understand that that's moving away from Christ? He said, we're talking something that changes lives. And it isn't men. I don't care who they are. They're not going to change your life. You're going to need Christ. If a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. Because he said, you suffer if men do this to you. You suffer. Because you're the bride of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. And if a man exalts himself above you, and you think you have to have him to, to make heaven, if he smites you on the face, if he abuses you, if he beats you. You guys, I, I have seen people go through terrible, terrible things at the hands of ministry. If a man smites you on the face, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. See where the problem came from? Because the whole world saw the Jewish people as, as above the rest of the people because their God had lifted them up. They defied Him and lost Him. They reproached Him and they committed spiritual adultery. They destroyed everything that was holy about what they were. Yes, they broke the covenant until God brought destruction on them until there was no remedy. Yes? And still the whole world. Still. 450 years, 500 years after they broke the covenant and God destroyed Jerusalem. Who could, who could think that God's still lifting these Jewish people up when he, when he took Nebuchadnezzar in there and decimated that, that place? Now, 500 years later, the Jews are under the Roman uh, rulership. And you guys, you look at this thing and you're thinking, wait a minute, they still have such clout in the world that if a Jew shows up, everybody gathers for a study of the Scriptures of the God who's real. And they don't even have the God who's real anymore. He departed the temple. He tore the veil in two. They crucified their Messiah. And yet there's such a power of, of God being with them. You guys, this is 2,000 years after that. And, and I run into people everywhere. That are, that are dealing as Messianic Jews. They see anything Jewish as being uh, awfully important. And you guys, here's the thing. I understand. I understand. You want a holy ground? You want holy ground? You are as important as Mary in the birth of Christ. Because that's what the church is. 
The church is the womb for him to be birthed again to the world. That's what the Bible said. We are his body. And so God's bringing this body into unity. That's why there's so much division and strife. Because the devil wants to keep the body from coming together. Because when that body comes bone to its bone, just like he prophesied over there in Ezekiel, when that body comes bone to its bone, there's power, there's life, there's that reality. And that's what the Spirit of God is talking about in this work that's coming on. And you guys, this isn't going to come to a fullness because we've got men that can talk about it. God told Ezekiel, will be, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, you know, Lord. I mean, this valley is scattered with dead bones. And if anybody took you to a valley full of dead bones and said, could they live? You'd say the same thing Ezekiel's did. I don't know, God. looks to me like they're pretty scattered. Could they live? And he said, he spoke to me and said, prophesy. This isn't about you trying to convince somebody that they could walk with this God. This is about God telling me and you this is going to work like the day of Pentecost. What God's going to do in the last days is an, a, a work of an authority out of the heavens where He prophesies and His Word comes to pass. So He said, I prophesied as I was told. And He said there was a shaking. And then it came together, bone to His bone. So what God is going to do in these last days, you guys, on the day of Pentecost, He said... I. First off, in the Old Testament, he prophesied that he's going to take the sin of Israel completely away in one day. And one day he did. Did it make them stop being sinners? No, because they crucified him. But he took their sin all away in one day. You see, to know what he did is different than to hear what you think he's going to do. Because he said, I'm going to take all their sin away in one day. Did he take their sin away in one day? Absolutely. Did it benefit them? Not unless they received it. So the battle went back to, did you believe this man from Galilee, or did you not believe the man from Galilee? If you believed the man from Galilee, then you could receive what he said. If you listened to the priests that told you he's an imposter, he's a liar, he's a deceiver, if, if you listened to those people, in the face of, of dead people being raised, he, they convinced the people, listen, these priests reformed themselves and transformed themselves into apostles of light. Because they began to talk against Christ and they had to assert themselves as the authority of God. And they hadn't been doing that for a long time. They had sunk down to the lowest of lows in the temple. And they had to re- reinvent themselves to get these people to, to follow them through this myriad of issues. Paul said, listen. I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolish, I am bold also. Are the Hebrews, I am. Are the Israelites, so am I. Are they the seed of Abraham, so am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Only a fool would say, I am more a minister of Christ. He was. Way more a minister of Christ. But you see, a fool would think you could gain ground by doing that. Paul said, listen to me. I'm saying this because they're saying the things they're saying. Listen to what I'm saying. And I, I'm telling you, this is foolishness. They, they tell you that they are more of a preacher than I am. They know more about Christ than I do. Is that, that's foolishness. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths often. Are they living like that? You see why Paul said that? 
Okay, he said, if you think easy living means that you're an apostle of God, you have no idea. He said, the reason I've been through this stuff is because the devil intends to stop what I have. I have a, a word that bursts like created light upon the souls of men. Brings them out of the destruction of Satan and into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. What I have inside of me is despised by all of hell and every demon. The devil's doing everything he can to try and run me down, stop me, turn me around, or make me give up, and I'm not giving up. But he said, I'm telling you, you can tell the difference between the men who are God-called and the men who are not, because the men who are not God-called don't have this kind of war. They are lifted up and blessed. They, they are touted as the, the great men. They become the heroes of the faith. They become the people that everybody looks to. They're, they become the superstars. said, I'm not a superstar. Of the Jews, five times received by 40 stripes, say one. You'd only want that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want that to happen one time in your life. And Paul received it five times. Thrice was I beaten with rods. They just beat you till they were satisfied. They beat you enough. Nobody stopped them. Nobody helped you. And the rods were serious wood. They were meant to, to tear you up. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. The ships went down with me in it. So where was God in all of this? Where was God in all of this? Sure. The power and presence of God took him past that. It wasn't a give up thing inside him because he loved God more than he loved himself. A day and a night I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. So you wonder why you're going through tough stuff in preparation to, to serve God. Yeah, it is because your faith can't let go in the midst of warfare. You can't turn around and go back because people decide they're going to threaten you or cause you trouble. You just going to have to keep doing what God tells you to do. God has a way through for you, and that's what you want, is to do exactly what the Spirit of God does. Listen. In perils among false brethren. And that's, that's a real tough place to be, you guys. False brethren. Brethren, see, it'd be great if he said false teachers or, or, you know, false accusers or false something. But when he says false brethren, the implication is they're my brothers. They are false. They are false. You guys, that's what the spirit and presence of God deals with me and you. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings. Often in hunger and thirst and fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Wow. You guys, I, I hear a lot of people claim to be apostles when they're getting ready to have a meeting. In Central America, they, they put up these flyers and they will tell you right up, Apostle so-and-so is going to be here. I figure he's going to show up beat up, parts of his body shredded. I like to see scars. Nakedness, cold. Fasting is often and hunger and thirst. I like these guys to show up. I don't want them to show up 
in a limo with a with an entourage and and bodyguards. The thing is, if you need a bodyguard, evidently you're afraid of your flesh getting beat up. Am I right? So you, you want to be different than what? It's like you're going to get to heaven and and the people all gather around and say, "Who manicured your nails?" That's that's what you want to. You, that's what you want people to ask you. I want people to go. How did you get that? Well, it was a dark and stormy night. The thing that God does to me and you is put something inside us that says, here's the place I am right now. And the God who gave me life spoke to me and said, I'm going to put this in your heart. And I want you to get it to that city on time. And it does not matter what's between me and there. It does not matter what's between me and there. It matters that I get there. And you guys, I have been in places that I was astounded that I was even there. I've been in places that I was astounded that I was even there. Because I could have never found it, not even with a map. And there I was, because God put me there. And the thing that God does best is puts us in these places and, and brings to a conclusion the stuff that only He could bring to a conclusion. Listen, so this is, this is what He's talking about, Hannah. So he said, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily. He said, I'm, 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 not, I'm not happy-go-lucky. You look at me, you should be able to see something in my eyes about the stuff that's going on in the church. And it should trouble you a little bit because it seems like I'm not quite here. That's what Paul's talking about. So see, inside of me, this stuff that's going on on the outside, that's only a part of what's really going on. What really is going on is that I am standing as part of that entrenchment of God on the face of the earth and the devil wants to run him off. And this is not for the weak, it's not for the soft, it's not for the quitters. This isn't about that. And, and I don't have that, you don't have that, but God can put it in us. That's what I'm hungry for. It's what you want in your life. Beside those things that are without, that which has come upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You guys, I don't have, honestly, moments where my mind has nothing on it. I know too many things that are going on in this body all the time. And there's a burden that comes with bringing victory to people that need a victory. And, and talking isn't the victory. Prayer is the victory. Getting in with God is the victory. Holding on to the things that God's made available to us. That's where the victory comes. But you guys, beyond this place, there are things that are going on in this earth that are vexing to me and vexing to you. I go back to Colorado. You guys, this is where I grew up. They legalized drugs. The whole place is just crumbling under the weight of debauchery and sin and lawlessness against God and immorality. And this once beautiful city is, is turned into this cesspool. 
And you guys, it's vexing to me to see the churches that have labored there, to know that God has fought His way into the middle of that place, and amid a, hung, uh, a million people, He spread a gospel that had an everlasting light. It wasn't low by churches. It wasn't easy churches. It was men who were really called of God, who came and stood their ground, and the Spirit and presence of God fell among these people. V. Shannon Sanders, that, that, uh, I, that his wife prophesied to me up there at, at Glenhaven. They had that, that camp at Glenhaven. In the 1930s, they had a, a Sunday school uh, classes of, of, of kids that was actually like a school, not Sunday school. And uh, these kids began to get a burden for God to move in Denver. 1934. And these kids came to the teachers and said, we're going to fast our lunches. These were kids that were from what would be our, our junior high level up through high school. And they came and told the teachers, we've decided we're going to fast and pray during our lunchtime. We want the Holy Ghost to be poured out on us. 1934. And you guys, these, these kids began to fast. And those, preacher, those teachers uh, began to fast with those kids. And man, the Holy Ghost came down on that place. And they, they, they just branched out. The Spirit and presence of God began to move to touch people in that whole city. They, they fed the hungry. They opened up. They got a great big building downtown. Opened it up for beds. They just, they just started taking people in. And the Spirit and presence of God just gave them finances to keep doing it. But the Holy Ghost was moving in that place. And you guys, over and over and over again, God just blessed that, that whole area from, from uh, the 1920s, 1930s. So you see that coming to an end in the 60s. And you realize that from the 1960s till now, that whole place has gone into a darkness and a hardness and, and a debauchery that you, you know that had, had to have something immoral replace that which was moral. And the apostles of God would never let that happen. The ministers of God would never let it happen. Those imposters, those false brethren, they'd let it happen. And they would pretend they're stuck. It's not the truth. This is what he said. So he said this. Who is weak and I'm not weak. I see somebody vexed. I see somebody that the devil's been messing with. And I feel that. Because it's against me. It's against you. There isn't, there isn't one person that goes through those things alone in this body. And that's what the Spirit of God wants out of us. Who's offended and I burn not. Somebody offends you. Somebody attacks you. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. See how he comes back to this witness? God is my witness. God will vouchsafe for this. Listen. In Damascus, the governor, under Artemis, Artus, the king, kept the city of the Damascians with a garrison disaster to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hand. So that's what a ministry is like. Goes through those kinds of things. They intend to kill you. And so you don't you don't leave in a limousine. You know, everybody out there throwing flowers at you, screaming and wishing they had your autograph. This isn't what it's about. Listen, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. It's not expedient for me to glory. Because, guys, he's went through this stuff, and if he's talked it, it's like a living thing that's happened on the earth. And it does indeed glorify God. Because God's brought him through all these things. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now let me talk about visions and revelations. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knows. 
such a one caught up to the third heaven? And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows. So he's telling you, I don't know, it seemed like I was in my physical body, I don't know if I was or not. But I'm telling you, it seemed like I was there in my physical body. And I went to the third heaven. And this is that place that is eternal. This is, this is paradise. That's caught up to paradise. What you and I would expect to go to eternally. So, Paul was talking about coming into this place that he could see what forever was going to be like. And in that place, and this is what he says, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words. Unspeakable words. You couldn't, you couldn't speak of the things which it is not lawful for a man to utter. I heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. So the Apostle Paul said, look, I, I've seen what heaven is like. You guys, these people that write these books, I, I went to heaven, saw heaven. Paul said, when I was there, I can tell you that I saw something that it was unlawful for me to even tell you what I heard. So anybody read books say I've been to heaven. But I will tell you this, that this is reserved for people that have gone past the white throne judgment. Nobody is in heaven now. Am I right? Except God and his angels. So Jesus told us that there was a place that held the souls of men who are dead. Yeah? They're alive. And he tells us about Lazarus and the rich man. That's the true thing. Jesus is telling you what really went on. And they, they both died. And Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man is in a place of torment. And we understand he's in torment because he asks for a drop of water on his tongue to cool it. Because nothing torments you that I know of like thirst. And to be with nothing to, to stop that thirst would be like having nothing in a relationship with God. It would be that same kind of thing. Because the Bible said that we should hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be filled. So what Jesus tells us about the afterlife is that these two people are there and the rich man can see Lazarus and Lazarus can see the rich man. And Abraham says, there's a gulf between the two. He can't come to you. There's a gulf between you. So, what happens is, According to the Bible, is that when you die, if you have served God and given your life to Him, then you go to paradise. Jesus told the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Not the third heaven. Getting to the third heaven has to go past the white throne judgment because you have to have been adjudicated and, and vindicated and brought in before uh, that tribunal of God. How many know that's true? So the great white throne judgment hasn't happened yet. So nobody's up in heaven. That's, this is where the Catholic Church got purgatory. Just you can't pray anybody out of it. You can't buy somebody out of it. So anybody tells you, well, you can buy somebody out of it, nobody can buy you out of that. It's kind of nothing the man wants to die. And then the judgment. So then you wait for judgment. The rich man is waiting for judgment. So Paul said, that isn't where I went. I transcended that. I went to this place where it is eternally the reward of those who are with God forever. That third heaven. And you guys, this is the thing that Paul is talking about, about revelations. About God bringing him into a place that, that equipped him for the understanding that he had, the revelations. Because he's talking about revelations now. He's talking about visions and revelations. And so he went up there 
and, and was given this knowledge of revelation knowledge that, that men did not possess, didn't have. So, and we don't need it. Because what Paul gave us, we need it. You want to know what the third heaven is actually like? Get there. <laughs> Am I right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to get to see it. You're going to get to see the third heaven. And the great thing is, what God understood is if you understood what heaven was like, you'd, you would actually live different because of what it would be like. It would be the anticipation of that. And, and you, would, you would live honestly uh, convinced by what you saw and felt that you should, you should just give your all to God now. And what he wants you to do is operate in this place that you love him enough to do that. Not what you, not what you encounter. Because you guys, the glory of it transcends anything that a man would know. Paul said it's unlawful to even say the words he heard. So I can tell you that, that there's something about that that would make you like Paul. Because when he told those people, you know, actually, for me to depart is... Uh, that would be great for me. I'd actually like to leave. I hate to tell you that, but, but the reason I'm staying is for you. So I'm staying here because you need me. But otherwise, I've been there. And I would easily go back. Oh, and Paul knew how to get there. <laughs> Paul understood that it really was a pretty easy stretch to get where he was going. But the thing is, you guys, here's, here's what you and I want, is to finish this course. And that's what Paul said. What I've chosen is to finish the course that God has set me upon because he's given me something that will come through me that will impact you because I want us all to meet there, on this place, on that shore, beyond this place, where whether I was in the body or not, I cannot tell you. It's that real to me. And you guys, when you're, when you're visited by that, depth of, a, of an impact of a, of a, of a vision or, or I, I think it was when he was stoned I, I think it was when they killed him I think he actually died went to heaven and not, not paradise but I think that it just was that but, but you guys he wouldn't have to die to get to this third heaven he only would have to have God pick him up to bring him to that because he still would have to bypass the white throne judgment to get to this place where he was that's why he's telling you. Well, I don't know. Because how can I take my body there? Whether I was in the body or not, I cannot tell. It was just that real to me. But I, I, I just can't tell you. And you guys, but he was, he, you could see there was a perplexity in Paul even as he wrote it. That he couldn't quite tell. And he, and he repeats it twice. Whether I was in the body or not, I, I cannot tell. That's pretty much in the spirit realm. But he received from that a depth of revelation that he had to have in the glory of God. So you guys, I'm satisfied that what God is doing is bringing us to that place that, that these things in you and the things that you're going through, the pain of right decisions. You guys, right decisions cause you pain. I'm just going to be honest with you. Right decisions cause you pain because your flesh would like to do... What I'm talking about is when there's a conflict in you about what you would do. When you come down to a conflict in you about what you would do, and we have conflicts every day. Some are big, some are little, but we have conflicts every day. Those conflicts that cause us pain are the ones that we will validate why we should be able to pick what the flesh wants. 
and the flesh is genius at finding a loophole in the reasoning so that we can accept what it is that we would like. And it should be mine. And what the Spirit and Presence of God does is tells us, get rid of it. Get rid of that. Stop that. Deny that. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Him. And you guys, that's what makes Christians real Christians. It's what keeps us moving into a moral place. Not because I decide that I'm going to be the most moral guy. It is that the presence of God dwelling inside of me has a convicting power that, that shakes me to the core. And it does you. And if you don't have it shake you to the core, you're not walking in the presence of God. I'm just telling you, you walk in the presence of God, it will shake you to the core. It will turn you upside down. It, it will stop your actions. I guarantee you, the Spirit of God abiding in you will stop your actions. You cannot, you cannot get God to go away. He's just there. And when you settle on the issue that this is going to be painful for me, but I'm going to take this road that God told me to take, when you make that decision, what begins to happen to you is a war that, you, that the, your flesh wants you to stop. Because this is for everything. Once your flesh realizes you're going to throw something away forever, you're not going to keep it as an option for maybe some other day, just in case you, you know, decide later on that it was too much to, to cast off. There's no such thing as that. It is, no, I'm making a choice. And is it painful to me? Absolutely. But I make that choice because it's the right choice to make. And that's what the Spirit of God brings us down to. When we operate like that, when you and I operate like that, the church will come back to the kind of moral compass that it should have had all along. That's what you want. It's what I want. It's not about me telling you the right and wrong. It's about you receiving the Spirit of God inside of you, listening to that voice, and God being able to tell you when I'm 10,000 miles away what you ought to or ought not do. Convict you, convince you, and bring you back in line. Because that's what keeps us safe. That kind of relationship with God. The flesh figures out, hey, if God wants me to do something, I shall most certainly go do it. And we walk away from where He has for us to meet. What you want to know is where did He tell me to meet me? Where did He tell me to meet me? Okay, that's where I'm going to stay. That's what Greg asked me about. Am I, can I move from Baldwin to Ottawa? I want to be exactly where God wants me. What if my neighbor needs me? See? So, so what if where I am is the most important place I ought to be? That's the thing that God does to us. So does He own me? Yeah, He owns me. Does he own where I live? Yeah, he owns where I live. So I'm, I'm letting him give me that perfect direction. And coming back to that place is exactly what the Word of God says. So that's a great question. Did we get anywhere near your answer? Yeah. But the reason God said that we're saved by grace is not by works. And by works, there's faith, right? Sure. We were saved at Calvary 2,000 years ago. He died and paid the price. So what happens is... I am then in partnership with it because it's a relationship. And every relationship has responsibility. That's what makes a relationship real valuable. Because there's responsibility to it. So if I did nothing in a relationship, there are people that have relationships that they do nothing in. And so they really don't have a relationship. They have somebody who nurtures and cares for them and, and, and imposes themselves in the situation in order to make them make themselves feel like they have a relationship. I've seen that. You've seen that probably. Yes. So, I don't want that. No, nobody wants that. Well, I God doesn't want it. Like yeah, but God doesn't want that. No. So what he does is he gives us an example of things that we can do in partnership with him. 
And the reason he asks us to do some of these things is because he's very wise. He knows what costs me something opens up in me a sense of value for him. So let me give an example of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because God told Moses when he said, Who should I tell him? He said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Abraham came into the land. First thing he did was built an altar to God. And on that altar he laid down a sacrifice, something that was valuable to him. God asked Israel to give sacrifices that were valuable to them. So bring me your sacrifices. Now, he said if you're poor on these things that are about your atonement and the dedication of a child, all you have to do is bring me a pigeon. If you can't afford a dove, bring me a pigeon. So you can catch pigeons. They're cheap. So what he says is I will make I'll make a way for you to bring me a sacrifice, but bring it. Because obedience, your obedience to actually do it, I will, I'll record your obedience. If you can afford a ram, and it's very costly, you bring the ram. If you can bring a, a lamb, you bring the lamb. But I want you to bring me your best. What you can bring, you bring. Okay? So bring me your best. Abraham made those altars, made three altars. Now, Isaac comes along, and Isaac is a part of our walk with God. So we all start where we have things that God asks us to give up. He tells you, quit dealing with your friends. That friend not doing you any good. Put down your computer and your games. Spend too much time on it. You're wasting your life. You're burning hours. You don't have hours to burn. Keep your hours. So he tells us, don't burn your hours. And this is the thing. We entertain ourselves because we're stupefied from the things that are eternally important. So what he tells us is this. That's an altar. So you could lay that down on the altar. It's like, okay, I'll lay it down on the altar. And so God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to listen to me, and I'm gonna, I'll pick your altars. But I want you to bring willingly those things. So Abraham brought these things to God. And in those first three in those altars, he showed us that when we come to God, there are things that he involves us in as partnership in the relationship because it teaches responsibility. Okay. We don't have to bring lambs and rams and goats and that kind of stuff or even pigeons. But the Bible said that we have to bring to him the sacrifice of praise and we have to bring him surrender because obedience is better than sacrifice. Okay. So we're asked to bring obedience. And isn't that interesting because you guys, I've had some obedience that was an ox. I've had some obedience that was a choice ram. It's very costly to me. Very worth it. But what I realized is that I could give him no less. I could give him no less. So that's what we want. I want that sense of just surrender. I'm not, I'm not buying anything from God. I'm not buying my way into the kingdom. I'm grateful for it. But I'm grateful for the relationship, and every relationship has something that it asks of the other person. Tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. So here's the deal. If I tell you that I love you, it's one thing to say it with my mouth. It's another to live it. It's another for you to feel it. So what the Spirit of God does is brings us into that place that says, you say that with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. So what God does is brings us into a place that says, okay, look, I have to understand in this relationship 
the things about God. Because I can, I can be angry at God because He doesn't do something because I know He can do anything. So I have to have an understanding. And He tells us things like the, the widow woman that went to the unjust judge. So what's He telling me? He's telling me, look, don't get discouraged. You're going to ask me some things sometimes. And I want you to keep asking. I want you to be persistent. I don't want you to give up on the asking. I want you to bring this, this place of, of confidence in me to the level that says, God, I, I have to have this and I'm bringing it back to you and I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to give up on the prayer. I need it. You're my answer. You're my solution. I'm not turning around. Okay. So he tells us this woman went to an unjust judge and so he said, eventually she wore him out by her continual coming. So this God who loves us said, you see, if you understand me, you'll understand that you could pray for something and not get it right away. Don't go away. Don't get discouraged. Knock. Come knock again. Knock. So that's an important thing. Seek and you'll find. Knock will be open to you. Ask and be given to you. So, Doreen, we understand that our salvation is free. I'm not earning my salvation by the response in my relationship. What I'm doing is deepening my commitment in the relationship. And to say I love you. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So I can gauge myself. I can tell him with my mouth, I love you, Jesus. But if I don't keep his commandments, then I'm fooling myself. And I think that my words are bigger than my actions. And they're not. So obedience is better than sacrifice. So to obey. That's the thing that God's talking to his church about. So obedience then comes down to these issues. And you guys... Obedience in, a, in an action that is costly is the place that we stagger. It's like, well, cause, so God brings us to Abraham and he, he's asked an act of obedience that says, bring your son up on the mountain and kill him. You guys, there's nothing harder than to deal with a human being on your choice alone. Your choice alone. Abraham had to make a choice that if God told him to kill Isaac, he wasn't going to ask Isaac, hey, Isaac, I'm going to run something past you. What do you think about me killing you? It's like, not so much. And actually, the kid would have told him, sure, go ahead, Dad. He got said, kill me, kill me. But he didn't run it past him. He had to make the choice himself. He had to bind that kid's hands. So, you guys, in that, we see something about the cost. Because to take someone you love dearly, look into their eyes, and bind their hands. That's what God is talking about, about obedience and faith. If that man did not have faith that he was going to bring that kid back down that mountain, if that man, listen to me, if that man did not believe that he was going to bring that kid back down that mountain, he could not have bound that kid's hands. He could not have bound that kid's hands. He waited all those years for that kid. Nothing in his life mattered like that kid mattered. Nothing mattered. But God said, this is the inheritor. This is the inheritor. I'm going to bless this kid. And, and Abraham believed that that was true. So you see how deep that relationship was? And so obedience was better than sacrifice. What sacrifice could you come close to that God would tell you, bring your son and, and kill him on the altar for me? And all he had to do is obey. All Abraham had to do is obey. He took that kid up on the mountain, built the altar, laid out the wood, bound his hands, laid this kid down. You guys, someone else suffering because of your obedience. Hannah, same thing. She brought that child to, to the priest Eli. 
Nothing in her mind would say this would be a successful place to leave him. But she'd given him to God. She made a vow to God. And now she left this kid. But she cannot fix his sorrow. She cannot take away his homesickness. She can't, she can't make him feel like he's going to be alright. He's going to feel like he's been deserted and dying. He's going to miss home. He's going to miss the people around him. He's going to miss his mom. He's going to miss his dad. He's going to miss his bed. He's going to miss his friends. He's going to miss the yard. He's going to miss the sun coming up in the trees around where he lived and was familiar with. Now he lives in a, in a foreign place with an old man. And that woman left him there. So God gave us a picture how you shake the kingdom and shape the kingdom. And you guys, Christianity wants to take an easy route because we're, we're, we're freed and we're, we're living under grace. And we forgot that obedience is better than sacrifice. So we aren't seeking those things that are absolute obedience from God. We avoid them. We tell ourselves, oh, God didn't tell me that. God didn't tell me that. Because I'm saved by grace. Except that God asks us to do things we don't want to do. That's the point. It isn't about what we want to do. It's about what He wants us to do. And you guys come and surrender to that life as an interesting thought. But you want that life. I want that life. And that's the thing that God's asking us. Like, hey, would you would you lay this person on the altar? Would you would you lay somebody on the altar that you you wouldn't hurt them for anything in the world? You wouldn't hurt them for nothing in the world. And yet, what I'm asking you to do is going to seem to crush them and crush you in watching them go through what they're going to go through. Could you do that? Absolutely, because you understand that God told me to do this much, and that's what I'm going to do. And you guys, when you come to a, a, something that has to do with another human being. It's way more difficult. And that's what God just says, okay, you follow me. And that's what, that's what we want in our walk with God. So, Doreen, we're saved by grace. You're not going to heaven because you uh, yeah, did anything. But obedience, obedience brings you into a deeper relationship with God. It cuts away the things that are between you and Him. It clarifies your sense of dependence on Him. It opens up avenues of faith that turn to real believing. And that's what shapes the kingdom and shakes the world for Christ. And that's what you want. So, are there things for you to do? Yes, there are. Because there's responsibilities within the relationship that are good. So, Isaac comes along and he doesn't do anything. He didn't get to pick his wife. Abraham sent Eleazar to go get a girl for him. Picked wisely. Picked a beautiful girl. Brought her home. Bible said it comforted his heart since his mother had died. What a precious thing. So, you guys... Now, here's, here's this man who, who loves this woman. But he can't. He doesn't do anything. His whole life is a zero. And the hardest thing we do in our walk with God is come to that place where we no longer can build the altars and it seems like he's not even asking us to do things. And then we have to learn to live like, yeah, that's all right. My value is not because I bring home good report cards. My value is not because I'm a good worker. I've met, I've met people that their whole life They've been validated because they were hard workers. And then they, they work around the clock. They carry the load. They, they drag the wagon up the mountain. They don't ask for anything but just the, the uh, affirmation that comes from what they've done. God said, no, because i got to break off you that sense that your altars opened up heaven for you. They opened up relationship. Obedience deepens the relationship. Heaven's yours for free. You never earned it. So, rest in that. But can you squander it? Sure. Because the, the man, who, the prodigal son came to his dad to give me my inheritance. Yeah. So we could, we could squander it. We could, we could squander the best. 
and lose our inheritance. And the dad told the brother, your brother was dead. So anyone that tells you that you couldn't lose your salvation, they don't listen close enough to the Bible. The devil wants to drop Christians out. If you couldn't lose your salvation, the devil would leave you alone the day you got saved. He wouldn't have any temptation to you. Why would he tempt you? You're headed to heaven. Nothing going to mess with you. So the devil, he, but he don't leave Christians alone. Most of us have figured that out. But the reason he doesn't, because he'd like to tear you up and stop you before you get finished. Okay? Then Jacob comes along, and that's the third part of our walk. So we got to go through the place where we realize, you know what? I feel like I can't do anything for God. But somehow he carries me. Somehow he loves me. He seems to love me and answer my prayers as much now as when it seemed like I was building altars and laying things down and giving things up. Now it's sort of like he, he doesn't seem to be asking me to do any of that stuff. But, but when I pray, he just he opens up heaven and pours down on me. Then the Jacob part comes and what God did was changed him through a wrestling act. So his flesh wrestled with the Lord, yeah? God told him, you go home. And he's terrified, but he began to obey, yeah? So see, that's what we should end up with, you guys. We should end up with our walk with God so settled that when God tells us to do something dangerous, we'd go do it. Look, okay. Not easy. He didn't, he didn't do it easily, but he did it. And then he ended up wrestling with God. And then God made him where he was unable to run or fight. Yeah? So, that was the night before the day he was going to meet the battle. And he, had, he planned to run or fight, you know? And uh, he couldn't do either. And that's what God does to us to bring us into that place. Past that. And he changed his name from Jacob, which is a subplanner, to Israel, ruling with God. So, he, he did that work, yeah? So, I'd like to wrestle with the Lord on any issue that would keep me from being totally obedient and have him... Take from me that sense of my superiority in thinking or action or knowledge. Like I, I want him to bring me into that real understanding that he is the one who's going to fight the battle and win it. So that's where trusting him in even the weakening process is actually a blessing. All right. That was two questions right in a row. Rapid fire. Did I answer your question? And can, can a person be really proud of something they do and not be bad? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. We should have pride in the things that we do. We should be able to do something and have people build us up. Well, God, you know, God made us to be able to do astounding stuff. I mean, He, he gave man abilities and... Um, Well, pride is that I am better than, and I, I even doubt whether or not uh, I have to listen to the things of God. Pride lifts us up in a bad direction. Haughtiness is that I'm, I am uh, untouchable by feelings. Yeah, I've, I've transcended the sense of reasonable feelings on issues, but... but um, but I said, walk humbly with God. Do justly, love, mercy, and walk humbly with God. So pride is, actually, I know better. Or I can pick my own way. One of the worst things of pride is that I can choose my own way. That's a very 
proud statement in the face of a God who would be telling us to be something else. So that would be pride. But, but to say that you built that ship and uh, it was a beautiful ship and your craftsmanship is excellent and your workers were good, there's nothing wrong with that. If you say that it's a ship that God himself can't sink, maybe you wouldn't want to ride it on the maiden voyage. See, that's, that's pride. That, that's a sense of arrogance that, that lifts you up and, and, and takes you out of what's normal. So, so God blesses us with us. All right. Thank you, Jesus. And we're gathering here for prayer. You guys, I still, I, occasionally I just have these burdens about South Korea. And they just come on me. So something I know the enemy hates South Korea. Because you know, it once, in, in the 70s, it had the largest church in the world. In Seoul, South Korea. Christian church. In fact, um, it's where they started church groups because uh, the pastor there had everybody in the church uh, taking care of their neighborhood. Win people to Christ, he said. Win your neighbors. Have church in your home. Have Bible study at your house. And then they, they all gathered on Sunday to, to hear the message from God. And then that place grew to, I think, 10,000 people. They had several services a day. So the whole world said, well, that's a great idea. We need these little group churches. Man, they, they tried it. And it works about as well as nothing because God was in that. But, you guys, if you have God prepare a harvest that well in a generation, if you have God prepare that large of a harvest in a nation, in a generation, it is possible that he's going to harvest it. So, what I understand is that the devil would like to destroy and what God would be doing is, is taking harvest. But you guys, it would empower the world and its belief that it can triumph over Christians. You see what I'm saying? And we're being, a lot of this mooring is being unloosed against Christians in every way that the devil can do it. That, that makes, the, the goal is to make Christians afraid. That's what God's teaching us, don't be afraid. But not your heart be troubled. So that's what we want tonight. We're in difficult times. We're, I, I think America's in for some of the toughest stuff it's ever seen. And, uh, and God's seeing us through. But that's the precious thing. But that's why we're feeling that preparation of the heart. And, and it's driving us to prayer. How many of you have felt driven to, to get into a place in God because you need something more from God? Driven. It's like I have to have more from God. I've got I to gotta find that strength that I need because I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with issues I cannot find absolute peace over outside of that place in that sanctuary in Christ. And I'm, I'm availing myself of the power. They that uh, wait on the Lord renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Yeah? That's what you want. Run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. All right, you guys. Lord bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you Friday night for prayer.